hey everybody sam here from sam and chance hope everyone's having a great weekend um a very very special edition of the sam and chance pod here today what we have is an interview with a man that's wrestled over fifteen thousand matches has won awards for his historical documentation of wrestling in the canadian west a man who's the most decorated most decorated pro wrestler in all of Canada. We got to sit down with the man himself, Mr. Beefy Goodness, Vance Nevada, as he has just released his newest publication, Uncontrolled Chaos, a complete history of professional wrestling across the country. This book covers everything from the territories to the independence, to the effect that the WWE has had with Canadian wrestlers. the advent of female wrestling in Canada and a whole section dedicated to champions like the roll calls who were champions all of it it's all in there man you cannot go wrong with this book I highly recommend it Chance highly recommends it this is a book for everyone who is truly a pro wrestling fan there's so much information in here So I got the opportunity to sit down with him, have a conversation about the book, about professional wrestling. I think it was an amazing conversation, very insightful, very thoughtful, very thought-provoking as well. So guys, I really hope you guys enjoyed this conversation. Please, please take the time to listen to it. There's so much there. Our friends from Can-Am Wrestling are discussed. They're in the book. Our our our, Our friends from All Star Wrestling, they're in this book. There's just so much information. So guys, I highly recommend checking out this podcast because at the end, I have a special interview as well with the one and only Cuban Assassins that I did about three weeks ago in Calgary. I've been working with it, trying to get it to sound right. There was a lot of background sound. So I was working with that piece to uh, get it sounding as good as possible. So I hope you guys like that as well. So we got two interviews in this podcast for you guys today. One with Mr. Beefy Goodness Vance Nevada. And then right after that, we go right into the interview with the Cuban Assassins. So guys, please sit back, relax, grab your favorite snacks, and enjoy these two amazing interviews. Thanks for listening. And remember to like and subscribe. All the support means the world to us that allows us to kind of continue on and keep building and growing. We know we're on the right track when we see people coming and listening to the show so thank you for all the support and guys um please check out the descriptions at the bottom we can there you'll be able to find out where you can buy the book uh after listening to it you know uh we'll have all that information tour dates uh, he's going to be going on the road to promote the book as well so guys sit back enjoy relax and in yeah man take it all in man stamp out Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I am Bobby Sampson, and I have a very, very special guest here with me today. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to introduce you to none other, Mr. Beefy Goodness himself, Mr. Vance Nevada, a man who's been wrestling since 1993 from coast to coast, raising the blood pressure of fans everywhere he goes. A wrestling historian, and that's why you're here today, Mr. Beefy Goodness, Vance Nevada. Thank you very much for coming on to the show. Absolutely. My pleasure to be here. And we're here to talk about this amazing publication, Uncontrolled Chaos, a Canadian 
a Canadian remarkable, I'm sorry, pardon me, Canada's remarkable professional wrestling history. Amazing book, Vance. I have read it from cover to cover. Well, I've read all the sections, but glanced through all the title reigns and what have you. So, but the meat of the book is amazing. There's, I probably, to be honest, I'm probably going to have to go back and read it again just to kind of pick up some of the things that I missed out on. Um, I guess the first thing I really want to understand is how did you start compiling this information? Like, what's the starting point for, for this amount of information? You know, I think it's, you know, it started very early in my career. Um, you know, I was only about 18 years old and started to hear stories from the veterans talking about the old days of Winnipeg wrestling. <laughs> and I wasn't aware of Winnipeg having an independent scene. You know, my first introduction to anything other than the AWA or Stampede or the, or the WWF at the time uh, was in 1989 when Tony Candelo got local TV in Winnipeg. And <laughs> to me, that was the origin of local wrestling. And so then when you started to talk to people and like, oh, no, wait a minute, there was, you know, there was wrestling here in Winnipeg in the 40s and 50s and 60s. Um, and it, it really piqued my interest. And so I started, uh, you know, originally it was intended to be a summer project for something to do uh, in the summer of 1994. Okay. Uh, to go and look for a very specific piece of information in the Winnipeg archives. Mm -hmm. uh, and the Winnipeg archives itself, it was kind of an interesting dynamic because the building that now houses the archives used to be the Winnipeg Civic Auditorium. Right. So it was like I was in the very building that Whipper Billy Watson had wrestled in and, and a lot of these legends of the day. So you're like this little place where I'm sitting and, and uh, scrolling through old microfilms could have been like where uh, somebody got hit with a chair back in the day. Right, right, so, right you know, it was, it was really interesting. And, you know, when I started to discover, you know, how many uh, guys that, you know, we know from the territory days, like Moose Murawski and Bulldog Bob Brown and the Von Steigers and Roy McClarty and George Gordienko mm -hmm. that all came out of Winnipeg. Mm -hmm. It was amazing to me. Right. Yeah. And then you get into like the Roddy Pipers and Don Callis and Chris Jericho and now Kenny Omega. Yeah. You know, it, it's so fascinating. And for me as a, as a kid growing up in Manitoba, Right. Anything you ever read about wrestling was about WWF. Right. And if they were talking about Canadian wrestling, it was only about Calgary. Mm -hmm. It was only about Stu Hart. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, no doubt Stu Hart and Stampede Wrestling are a huge part of uh, wrestling in, in Western Canada and Canada as a whole. Right, right. But there's a lot more to the story. No, 100%. And, and it's well descriptive in, in the book itself. Uh, one thing I, I, I was really interested in was the fact that yourself, when I was reading about you in the territories, was it hard to write about yourself? It's awkward yeah. uh, because you definitely know uh, that if you have spilled any secrets about somebody mm -hmm. or you dish the dirt on, on their motivations behind, you know, uh, betrayal of a fellow promoter or, or, you know, rival wrestling organization, mm -hmm. you know, that if you dish the dirt on other people, they're going to say, well, yeah, that was all good and fine for him to do that, but where's the dirt on him? Uh -huh. no, <laughs> so, fair play. you know, there's definitely, you have to make sure that within context, you tell the story and, yeah. and, you know, recognizing that, you know, I wasn't a, a passive narrator watching this take place. I was an active player uh, in the way that some of that history f unfolded. And, you know, quite honestly, I wasn't always a good guy. And some of the decisions that I made definitely were not honorable. 
Mm -hmm. uh, and I regret those. And so I have to own up to that myself in the text. No, and I believe, you know, and that was amazing. Like, I mean, one of the things that I learned about yourself, like I understand, I know you started wrestling in 1993. You bought the promotion. You actually ended up buying the promotion for $1,000 a year later. And, um, you know, being 18, 19 years old in the 90s, a grand is a lot of money at that time. I mean, you know, what was that like? You were booking and everything at that point. Like, did you, was that the goal or did that just happen? I think, it, I think you know, when I look back on it now, you know, and, and some of my close friends, we joke about it pretty regularly. Like, you know, here was this, this kid with two years in the business now being put in a position where he's the booker. You know, it's a little bit like the joke you hear about the post turtle, right? Like, yeah, yeah you see a turtle on a post, you know, it doesn't belong there. It doesn't, there's, <laughs> it doesn't know what it's going to do there. And uh, somebody put it there. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and in many ways, it was the same for me. You know, I was in a position where I was, I was put in a, in a, in a role with authority very too early in my career. Mm -hmm. um, and not really, uh, I mean, for me, the motivation was about trying to build wrestling and we were very ambitious to do that, mm -hmm. you know, on the independent level. And so I was like, you know, promoting and hustling and, you know, trying to find grant opportunities and, Right. You know, trying to find community clubs to run wrestling shows and coordinate talent, but uh, not realizing fully what the political ramifications were going to be in that locker room. And when you've got, you know, veteran guys that are 10 and 15 year guys now taking orders from a punk. Yeah. Uh, you I know, don't want like, to say that, but okay. <laughs> yeah. No. And, you know, it was, it was so much so that, you know, when, when uh, my career wrapped up in Winnipeg and I had the opportunity to move to the West Coast. Uh, Michelle Starr, you know, sought me out and said, Hey, you've been wrestling nine years and I see you've been headlining and you've been a champion and you've held these roles in other organizations. Where do you think you fit here? Mm -hmm. And I was just so burned out mm. on, on the politics of, of being a booker. I, I just said to Michelle Starr, listen, I just like to wrestle in the opener. You're right. Uh, and, and he thought I was crazy, but uh, you know, nonetheless, you know, it gave me an opportunity to recharge and and just be a just be a wrestler which was always what my aspiration was 100 percent. but everything you've done has led up to this moment so nothing could be bad right i mean some bad decisions some bad choices obviously we all do that but at the end of the day you and i sitting here right now having this conversation is an accumulation of both our lives regardless of our choices and stuff so i mean from that perspective it must be pretty cool man to when you reflect back on it all yeah you know i think you know uh bob leonard who's uh was a a promoter in Regina, a photographer, you know, an author, historian, you know, mm -hmm. a very good friend of mine, um, you know, came to me in, in uh, 2004. I was, I was on that track where I was really, you know, trying to get a contract with the WWE and I was sending my tapes in every six months and constantly on the phone, trying to leave messages for, for talent relations. And uh, in 2004, uh, when I was crossing to go for, uh, extra work in uh, Seattle and Spokane, mm -hmm. um, you know, I got pulled in uh, at the U.S. border and banned from the United States uh, for attempting to work without a visa. And really for me, you know, it was like there'd been five or six years of campaigning and, you know, working out hard and, you know, people wouldn't realize that now to look at uh, the shape that I'm in at 47. But at that time, like really, you know, aggressively in the game. And uh, when that door closed, the hardest phone call I ever had to make in my life was to call WW back and say, I know I've been harassing you for four years to get a spot and you finally gave me one, but I can't come. 
you know, when that door closed, yeah. uh, it was devastating for me. Sure. Uh, but Bob Leonard was like, well, you know what, if, and this is, you know, years after the fact, he said, if you had gotten a job there, then your first book wrestling in the Canadian West wouldn't have happened. Yeah. No, and you would have been too busy with other projects. And now this book would never have happened. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think that, um, He's, he's probably right. You know, yeah, sometimes you have to be thankful for unanswered prayers. No, 100%. I agree with you completely on that. Um, speak, uh, congratulations. So, guys, just so everybody knows that Vance has won an award for his latest book, uh, Wrestling in the Canadian West, uh, the Melby Award. Uh, you the Melby that from, Award, yeah. Yeah, you received that from the Cauliflower, the Cauliflower Alley Club, who are, currently are having their annual banquet as well. So uh, we were talking off the air. The book is in Las Vegas. So I can't wait to see the pictures and all, all the alumni holding that amazing book of yours. How does that feel to see these guys that you've written about, that you've watched growing up as a kid? We both watched growing up as kids. Uh, for me, you know, I, I look at that stuff like I can only relate to you this way. We were together in Calgary a few weeks ago and I got to meet the Cuban assassins. And yeah. all of a sudden I was eight years old again. You know, sure. just being with them, sitting in between the two of them. What are your feelings? Or are you just so used to it now? It's just cool. Or do you still get that? Wow. You yeah, still I don't I don't think you ever, ever get used to it. I think, you know, in, in 2010, when I won the Melby Award, it was the most surreal experience for me. Uh, because, you know, I, it was the first time I'd been at their event in Vegas. I'd been to one that they had held in Iowa about 10 years earlier. Mm -hmm. so it's my first time in vegas and mm -hmm. you know we're there in the room with nick bockwinkle and ted dibiase and, right. and you know all of these legends and i'm a little bit starstruck you know yeah. quite quite frankly uh and then we get up to uh you know now they're announcing me for this award and i got to go up in front of 600 wrestling people mm -hmm. uh and and give a speech mm -hmm. and i remember going up to the front and getting to getting to the podium and i'd probably written and rewritten that acceptance speech probably 10 times right just wanted to say the exact right thing and you know in my in my brief moment in the sun kind of thing and when i got up the, to the podium i looked out and the front table right in front of me was ted dibiase terry funk and nick bockwinkle mm -hmm. and i just felt in that moment just in that one second like something is terribly terribly wrong here this mm -hmm. is an incredibly backwards right i should be sitting here listening and celebrating you yeah uh and so i got through my speech i honestly have no recollection of that two minutes of time uh or what actually i said right and then they usher you off and you get your photo op with your award and and you know you've got like the actual presenters and then while you're there like anybody from the crowd that wants to come and get a picture with you they come and so you've got like your peers from vancouver are there getting a photo and then maybe some other friends or whatever Right. But I remember as I was going back to my table, I had to pass the lead table and, and walk around big round tables around Terry Funk and Teddy Biasi's table. Mm -hmm. And as I was going around, uh, Terry Funk stood up and I thought, oh, that's cool. You shake my hand. And as he shook my hand, he leaned in and half hug and said, I'm proud of you, son. Uh -huh. And, you know, my eyes just immediately glassed over. I'm yeah. like, this is just like such a incredible moment. I think, you know, even now, you know, with this book, you know, as I see, and I, I had uh, Disco Fury sent me some pictures of uh, Moondog Moretti and Bobby Bass yeah. actually looking through the book, you mm -hmm. know, and I'm, I think I'm always 
opening my email, <laughs> waiting for that email from, from one of the wrestling legends saying, you got it wrong. Uh, <laughs> you know, like the, the way you told this story is completely wrong. And I haven't had that yet. Uh, but, you know, it just, you know, I think it, it comes from really being attentive to the scope of work, but also being respectful of, of the subject matter and the, and the players involved. Well, I think it's also a testament to you and, and what you have gathered here and to pretend. So, I mean, congratulations to you for, for, for putting in all this hard work. Um, did you have to set limits to how much information you could actually put in the book and how much did it actually end up on the floor? You know what, when I first submitted the manuscript to the publisher, um, and even keep in mind, like the actual writing, like once we had set, set out to, to commit, we're going to do a book. It was about 18 months, uh, mm -hmm. start to finish. And mm -hmm. it was during the pandemic. So it wasn't like, oh, well, we'll do it on a weekend when we don't have somewhere else to go or some something else to do. Right. There was nothing else going on. So this was, you know, my, my pursuit, every free minute that I could get in front of my computer screen, you know, I was, you know, writing or researching or you know, tweaking this yeah. manuscript. Yeah. And so when I submitted it, the uh, first manuscript appraisal came back and said a typical book is 80,000 words. And what you've submitted to us is 239,000. So we're recommending that you cut two thirds. Ooh. And I said, I'm not cutting a single word. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, you know, this, this isn't a novel that you're going to read on a weekend. This mm -hmm. is a reference book and the first mm -hmm. reference book of its kind that covers yeah. the subject matter. Mm -hmm. I'm not cutting a single syllable. Yeah. And, and uh, luckily I had, you know, uh, Emily at Friesen Press, who was, who was there to go to bat for me and say, yeah, she understands the context of what I'm trying to do. Paired me with a publishing specialist, Brianne, who is a mm -hmm. wrestling fan. Mm -hmm. uh, and so together, you know, they were sort of my advocates behind the scenes to make sure that the book came out the way that I had envisioned. Mm -hmm. Oh, so in every section, so for fans, first off, you got to buy the book. If you don't buy the book, then you're missing out completely. I have to say that. I'll say that again and again, probably a few times throughout this interview. That's how excited I am and was excited to read it and excited to read it again. Um, in every section, you have you, you have the territory section first from 1902, 1929, depending what the territory is, up to 89. I guess that's when the territory system kind of ended in Canada. Um, yeah. Where did you, did you have to go to Atlantic Canada at any point? Did you have to go to Quebec at any point to get, because some of the information in the very beginning, that like the origins of, of how, who brought wrestling um, over from where they brought it over from. Sure. Did you actually literally have to go travel there at certain points to get information? Yeah. You know, in some of those cases, you know, and this is kind of one of the interesting parts about the way that I've been able to, to develop and, and research the subject matter over the years is, you know, back when I decided that I was interested in wrestling history, I would always find ways to piggyback my wrestling bookings with opportunities to do research. Mm. So if I knew I was wrestling in Regina on Friday night and they needed me at the arena by five o'clock, well, I'd show up in Regina at one o'clock and go spend three hours in the library and dig up research. And so I did the same in the Maritimes. It was a little harder to do when I went there because we were wrestling every night of the week. So mm. you'd have to find a rare day off that was on a weekday when the archives were open. Right, uh, right. And get down to the archives and get some of that stuff. 
but uh, I also had a lot of help, particularly for the Maritimes, from my friend Rob Seeley, who is okay. you know a very devoted historian for for that part of the country, mm-hmm. uh, and and the leading foremost authority on the career of Leo Burke. Right. Uh, so, you know, I was able to you know you get material from him, run ideas off him, and you know when when the book came out and he got a copy of it he was the first person that I asked that I get the Maritimes right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when I got the thumbs up from Rob, then I knew we were good. Okay. Um, but you know, in, I think probably the hardest part with research at this period of time is even if you could find a resource mm-hmm. and it is easier than it was 20 years ago when I started, because oh, now sure. so many newspapers are now electronic and they're online. Yeah. Uh, Quebec has a fantastic depository of newspapers Mm-hmm. It's very slow to slog through because mm-hmm. I don't speak French. Right, right, right. So right. months and months of research in Quebec and and eventually you sort of get like the rhythm of the the statements to understand what's happening. Right, right. But uh, yeah, you know, 20, 20 years ago, we didn't have Google Translate either. So yeah, so <laughs> that would be the other part, right? You find an interesting article that like, this sounds like it's important. It's on the front page of the newspaper. I need to, I need to figure out what they're talking about. No, hundred um, yeah. percent. Here's one. Here's something I found really interesting. So when I was reading the Atlantic Canada section of the territories, Rocky Johnson's name came up in in part of it, and I I, I don't know why it stuck with me, but his real name is Wade Boyd. So yeah. Now, did Rocky Johnson ch- legally change his name to Johnson, or is Dwayne still working with a working name? Uh, I don't believe his name was ever legally changed. So I would suspect that, you know, that famous actor we know probably elected to go with that name because Dwayne Bowles is not a, you know, awe-inspiring name. No, fair play, fair play. But see, those are just kind of the interesting things that you will pick out of this book, like these little tidbits. And again, it's kind of like going back and watching a match again and finding new details. So that's where I'm at with it all. Like, I'm just like, oh, wow, this was really cool. Another thing that I found really, really interesting was um, I had the honor and privilege of also meeting Bruce Hart a few weeks ago. Um, I've always maintained and I shared the story with him as well. And I shared it with uh, Bad Bad News Allen's family as well, that those were the two guys, including Brett, the three of them. That made me a wrestling fan that fateful day, that fateful Saturday afternoon when I was eight years old. And sure. to actually meet them, you know, I'll be honest, I, 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 I choked up a bit. You know, I was just, just that feeling that you were talking about um, yeah. when, when you got to talk to Terry Funk and whatnot. You know, it's just, it's at a smaller level, but for me, it was like a crescendo of being a fan for so long and being able to meet the guys that made you a fan. Like, absolutely right and, and i think there's you know there, there's so many uh times when you're in a locker room maybe you're on an independent show and there's a name guy at the top of the card uh and you have the young guys that are really sort of clamoring to you know get attention and you're kind of like ah that, that, i'm not really excited about that but then uh you know you go to an event like the cauliflower alley club yeah where the guys of that vintage that were you know at the top of the game when i was becoming a fan at, at 10 yeah. years old yeah and then you're, you're tongue-tied, like, I have no words. <laughs> no, no, but, you know, it was a beautiful experience for me. And, I mean, I, I digress a little bit just because of those were the days when I watched wrestling with my father. And, my, sure. my, unfortunately, my dad's not with us anymore. And, you know, it was just kind of almost, I wish he was here to see this because these were the guys that we watched together. 
Right? Absolutely. I was a huge Cuban assassin guy. And because sure. he was a bad guy, my dad hated the fact that I would always want to cheer for him. <laughs> right. So it was just those little moments. Being able to sit with Angel that day was just phenomenal. Um, yeah. But but I just like I said in, in the book as well, you talk about Bruce going over to to England and that's where he discovered the Dynamite Kid. And I didn't realize how influential that was for Bruce, you know, because in his Hall of Fame speech that he delivered that night at Stampede Show, you know, he talked a lot about Dynamite in his speech. And, you know, it just it's tying it all together. Like the book helps with that. You know, sure. little details, things that I've watched. I'm like, oh, shit. So that's the backstory on that. You know, mm-hmm. so just, you know, that was really cool. Um, Rance, I've always wondered, you know, now that you've kind of, you're one of those wrestlers, in my opinion, that kind of had old school influences, but really was brought up with the new school and the next generation of what wrestling is today. How was that experience, like working with the old boys, you know, like I was watching Table at Three with Undertaker and, and the Bones crew, the Bone Street crew, and, you know, just hearing their stories, guys don't do that on the road anymore. You know, a lot of that kind of changed with Edge and Christian, from what I understand. They were like one of the first guys that after a show would go back to their hotel to read books. Now guys are carrying their PlayStations and their Xboxes on the road. No one really goes out anymore. Is that the case or has has it really? Yeah, you know, it's it's really a a strange culture shift. Um, And when you talk about sort of that fraternity of wrestlers, it's not the same as it was. You know, you had, you know, I think just in Canada, you know, we were starting out in Winnipeg, you know, the nearest city to us was Regina and that's a five hour drive. Right. Uh, And this is before, you know, cell phones and smartphones. Yeah. Some guys still had their flip phones on them and whatever. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, there were no distractions, right? You're you're on the road and we're going to tell road stories and, and rib each other and, and, and all of those things, you know, in, and in ways that, now, when you try to tell the story again, people are like, I don't understand it. That's not funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, at the time, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit, you know, and Scott Hall said this, like, you got to sort of make your own humor or else you're going to go insane. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so we would be on those long drives and you'd really get to know people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you get to know, like, you know, what, you know, not just professionally, but personally as well. Right. So it's not just about, uh, you know, who they are as a performer and, and what their aspirations are, but you also get to know them as a person, mm-hmm. right. And get to know their backstory and about their families and, mm-hmm. you know, the things that, uh, that they're sensitive about. And, and, you know, you, so you really became uh, bonded with those, with those people. And, and it's still the same today where some of those guys that I was riding with in 1997, you know, when we get together, it's like not a day has passed. Yeah, it's just you know, like a, we're we're still tight versus you know now when you get in a, a with a car with guys you know you're gonna drive eight hours to Prince George, probably nobody's saying anything because they got their headphones in and they're listening to music on their phone or they're playing their their handheld video game or whatever the case is you know you're lucky if the guy sitting in the co-pilot seat is is staying awake, mm-hmm. uh, and then you know after the matches and you know for better or worse, there there is left less uh frivolity after the show Mm -hmm. which is typically the the when the misadventures occur that that uh documentaries are are written about and 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 books 
Yeah. And, and some of those, some of those stories you like to hear about life on the road. Mm -hmm. A lot of that is, is non-existent anymore. Now, do you think the new generation of wrestlers knowing the past history and stuff really didn't want to buy into that kind of lifestyle because it almost feels like wrestlers today are treating it like, you know, a 365, the body, everything, the whole concept of staying in shape and, and health, not to say the old school guys weren't, but they were known to smoke a pack of cigarettes and, you know, drink, drink a keg of beer between them after a show. Kind of very sure. similar to what hockey was like or basketball or, you know, like training camp was training camp, correct? Yeah. It's time to come back, lose the weight. Whereas now guys are yeah. literally in shape year round, training year round. Um, do you think that plays a factor in, in the shift in culture? I, I think it's, I think it's more than that. I think the, if, if the uh, impact of social media that we see today the event, yeah. and, and tabloid media being as mainstream as it is today, yeah. if it was like that 20 years ago, mm -hmm. right. It, it would have killed a lot of that as well. Right. Yeah. You, now when you have cancel culture as it is, where uh, if you're out somewhere drunk, being an idiot yeah. and you say something as a joke and now it gets taken out of context. And now the next thing you know, uh, you know what, maybe, you know, for example, you know, uh, you know, early in their careers, I would travel with the Bollywood boys all the time, you know, mm -hmm. and when we were in the cars, like we learned a lot about each other's culture, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and also some of those things that, you know, would annoy us about other people mistaking our cultures on mm -hmm. both sides. Mm -hmm. Right. And so sometimes as a joke, right. When you're out in public, you might, you might poke that sensitive spot. Right. Yeah, and that's the unfortunate you know, and, part. Yeah, you know, that, and that, say that. something you know transculturally mm -hmm. uh, that someone outside of your your group that doesn't understand that it's an inside joke is now. Wait a minute, Vance yeah. Nevada is a racist, or Vance Nevada is a homophobe, or whatever, yeah. whatever those whatever the issue is, right? Right. And right. before you even had a chance to explain, listen, this is a non-issue. Like what you're talking about doesn't actually exist, right? No, you're already doesn't. canceled. No, 100%. And this is, I think, where I have a problem with current society myself. You and I are both 47 years old, right? I tell yeah. people I'm very fortunate, as you are, that we are probably the last real generation that grew up as kids with no technology, nothing. Like, I mean, you have the Industrial Revolution, and we were literally at the forefront, the beginning of the technological revolution, right? We grew mm -hmm. up as kids. We're the same age. So I know for a fact that you and I both played from eight in the morning until our mothers yelled to us to come home for lunch. We'd eat yeah. and we'd leave again. They don't yeah. know where we are. We're on the other side of town on our bikes. We're playing with mud. We're doing everything. And then when we see yeah. the streetlights come on, we'd come home. Yes. Right. You know, that was our culture. And to, yeah. to the point, like being ethnic myself, being, being South Asian, I like to think that we actually experienced racism, but we yeah. were able to tell the difference between Who's being racist and who wasn't? Yes. Right. And I, to, to that point you were talking about, you know, like a friend can come up to me and call me, you know, what would be considered a derogatory name today. And I'd be like, hey, buddy, what's going on? Because I yeah. knew the difference. We knew the difference. I almost yeah. feel that racism and all these things that are considered, obviously they are negative. I'm not saying that they're not, but they're watered down vets. For sure they it's lost the meaning of what they truly are and what they truly mean mm -hmm. and yeah, most of these... now it, now some of these things that are on on the fringe 
yeah, uh, have been blown up so much that people that are really experiencing the setbacks of of discrimination aren't going to be heard properly. No, um, and this, and same with mental health. To be honest, yeah, you know, and and it's unfortunate that this is where it's come to, but you know what. It is what it is. And, you know, I think being that last smart generation, the logical generation, as I like to call us, um, you know, it, it's up to us to kind of just see through it and carry on because we know better. Yes. 100%, right? Um, yeah. So as I was reading the book and I was going through it, so the territories ended in in, in 89. Uh, was that across the country? Because you have it for every section. Is, is that Was that like a consensus across the board, across the country that the territories were over in 89? How did you come to that conclusion? You know what, like it really looks at the timeline, you know, like Toronto, WWF had taken over Toronto in 84. Right. Uh, they took over Montreal by 87. Right. Uh, but it was really, I think, you know, the closure of Stampede Wrestling and All-Star Wrestling, both at that 89 timeframe where you're like, okay, well, this era is now officially over. Okay. okay. Uh, you know, the Maritimes being seasonal, I mean, they went another season or two past that, but then they pulled the pin as well. They just right. couldn't make a go of it anymore. Right, right. So then we get into the independence uh, right up to 2021. Why did you stop it in 2021 opposed to just having the the start date and just the line saying continue? What is, is there a purpose for that? There was a, there was a specific reason for it. And okay. that is because we were, also including the statistics, mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, which is the back section of the book, that record book, people needed to know where the, where the cutoff line was. Okay. Okay. So someone might be taking a look at that and because we were very specific and, you know, I probably stressed over the last five pages of the book more than any other part of the book, because you know that whenever you publish a list, that is going to be what people are going to pick apart. Right. So yeah. if I say that, if I say that uh, Bret Hart had 800 matches and someone comes out and says, no, no, he had 821. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I wanted to make sure that all that information was, was accurate. Right. right. Like uh, Goldberg, still, Goldberg streak, right? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, being able to, to say that everything in the, this book goes right up to the end of 2021. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there were a few late additions in the title history section where you're like, yeah. well, you know what, we have space. And it's not going to carry over into a new page count. We can get some of those 2022 title changes in there as well. Mm -hmm. But uh, the statistics yeah. are everything from the beginning to 2021. What I really loved is how current it is, like right up to 2021. But you also have a pandemic, a uh, little portion on the pandemic as well, which I thought was amazing. I mean, it's kind of, you know, that last piece of, of, it, of it all that, you know, I didn't know if it was going to make it or not, be considering, you know, the timeline and everything. Um what was what was that to write about what was that like experiencing it yourself not being able to work you know do you feel that a lot of guys lost steam did promotions lose a lot of steam and uh since you're obviously very involved in a lot of different promotions out here what 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 have they been able to do and how many of these companies have been able to kind of get back into it and kind of pick up again and I, yeah I, you know what it was very frustrating as a performer because for myself I had taken a few years off in the middle uh I needed to physically and coming back you know just starting to get into my groove again and uh just as you're sort of finding your stride now we're shut down yeah and 
you know, from the very beginning, uh, we didn't believe the the propaganda that said it's only eight weeks. Mm -hmm. We're just going to shut everything down for eight weeks, you know, to flatten the curve. Um, you know, maybe it's the cynic wrestlers in us to know, you know, yeah, we've seen this storyline before. But, you know, we were having the conversation in March to say there's no way that this is only eight weeks. We might be back up and running by Canada Day. But all-star wrestling in particular partic uh, traditionally takes the summer off. Right. So they said, okay, well, it's March. We're not going to have any shows until September. So let's ramp up everything to reopen in September. Mm -hmm. And we took the time to focus on some of our merchandising and develop a coloring book and do some retro design t-shirts and mm -hmm. merchandising, you know, get the guys in the studio and cut some like out of character promos just to sort of stay Fresh. visible. Yeah. you know, and, and let people know that, you know, Hey, we're still here. Uh, and then when September came and went and there was no start date in sight and then October 1st came and there was still no, there's no hint of this thing letting up. Um, I had to step away from it at, at all. Again, you just say, you know, what, like this is too frustrating for me creatively. I'm going to go write a book. Right on, man. <laughs> right on. You know, and then thinking that, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to commit to this. And then as soon as I get started, then wrestling's going to reopen again. And then I won't have time. Uh, but I had the full year. Okay. No, no, fair enough. And you know, it's a blessing because now we're going to get at least another five, six years of Mr. Beefy goodness in the ring with the extra rest and everything. So if there is a positive, awesome. there's a Oh no, I know it brother, man. I've seen you work. I love your work. It's amazing. Um, you know, thank you for everything that you've given us over the years. Thank you very, very much for that. Um, as I was reading the book and I was reading the territories and then I read into the independence and then we get into the effect that the WWE has had with, you know, in Canada and what have you, is it harder today because of the independence scene to be noticed in, in, uh, on that platform? I almost feel like the territories was almost an easier route to get to one of the bigger promotions. Uh, is that right? Am I wrong? Or I, th I think really what's happened is if you look at you know how much wrestling is happening now, uh, it seems like there's so much wrestling happening. There's wrestling for everybody. Wow, there's just so much going on, right? But what you're seeing actually though is a lot of noise okay. because nobody's working together. Okay. So, uh, you know, and I'll pick on BC. Okay. Uh, because you, you know, you've got thrash wrestling, you've got right. uh, all-star wrestling, you've got Vancouver Island pro, you've got big West, you've got right. 365, you've got yeah. WrestleCore, yeah. now boom wrestling, nation Boom's extreme wrestling. Yeah. There's so much stuff happening, mm -hmm. but in reality, you know, for, for, for yourself outside looking in, if you were uh, sitting there with a blank check and could book what is the ultimate BC wrestling show, you're not just picking from one crew. No, you can't. Right? You're like, yeah. I like this guy from All Star. I need yeah. this guy from Thrash. I need yeah. this guy, these couple guys from the island. Yeah. And then you're putting that all together, right? Mm -hmm. Those guys, that core group that you would pick for that dream show would have been the guys that would have been working the territory. Right. Okay. Right. So in essence, but, the independents are kind of like the territories in a way, because I know, for example, as I've gotten deeper and deeper and more involved in the local scene here now in the last eight months or so, I, I don't claim to know quarter of anything, 
but I know enough to understand it because of my fandom and, and what have you. And, you know, just, I almost feel that this would be an amazing if, if, you know, 360 would partner up with say all-star or something like that and have Eddie Osborne show up at a show and, and take out so-and-so or, or vice versa. You know what I mean? Those would be cool little yeah. things. You know, I don't think we see enough of that. The, the, the biggest change between the territories and the independence is television and schedule right right so you know well while we would talk about stampede wrestling and say Stu hart ran this empire of stampede wrestling mm-hmm. no Stu hart ran calgary yeah mike bulat ran edmonton right right this guy ran saskatoon this right. guy ran regina this guy ran right. lethbridge right. but they were working together yeah so all under that one shared banner with the television show to promote everything mm-hmm. you know and and that's the way that wrestling used to work, right? You'd have the AWA out of Minneapolis, right? right. They had 20 towns that they ran. Yeah. Al Tomko was their guy in Winnipeg, but Al it was Tomko, AWA. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right? So It's like the Tunnies in Toronto. Yeah, right? Like the, so you know, yeah. if you could put together, if you could get the promoters, and this is, this is where, you know, egos start to clash because, right. and, the, and this is why it's, it's always fails is that if you could pull together the best of the best uh, and get that on television mm-hmm. and allow that to have the, the the repetition for it to really mature. Now, all of those guys on that television show are getting contracts. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. you know, we've seen the quality of talent that we're producing in Canada mm-hmm. and, and you see them, you know, on television, whether you're talking about Bobby Roode or Kyle O'Reilly, uh, Kevin, Kevin Owens, Owens, Sammy Zayn, yeah. Evil Uno, Stu yeah. Grayson, Chris Jericho, yeah. um, Matt that, Menard, and Angela Parker—like that blew the immensity of Canadian yeah. wrestling on the world stage is unbelievable. No, you're absolutely right because, like I said, as I was going into the independent section of everything, I didn't know Evil Uno was Canadian or Stu Grayson yeah. was Canadian. Like I'm watching these guys on AEW, like, oh, they're Canadian. Wow. It's just like, it's insane. Uh, do you think it's harder for Canadian wrestlers to be recognized now overseas? Like I, we have the Kenny Omegas, we have, you know, the guys that we've all mentioned here. Um, you know, is it harder now? Is it, is it a tougher go for them? Considering though, with all the social media and all the tools they have at their disposal, is it almost at more of a challenge for them to get noticed? I think it, the the challenge really is that U.S. border and the work visa issue, huh. right? So if you're not being signed by a major company, it's going to be hard to get an independent organization to commit the dollars that it requires to get your work visa to get into the United States. Yeah, and so you'll see that some of these guys are doing, you know, taking great strides by getting international elsewhere. Mm. Right. So you've got guys like Sean Moore in Regina who is into Japan. You've right. got. Uh, Vaughn Vertigo, who's into Europe pretty regularly, mm-hmm. um, you know, sort of getting back into recognizing, uh, you know, and there was just a big contingent of Canadian guys that went to Mexico for six months last year. Right. So not developing just tunnel vision on WWE or AEW, but doing things that are going to build your resume in a constructive way to set you apart from all of the competition, right? You're not just a local guy from Calgary or a local guy from Winnipeg. No, you're, the guy that got their start in Calgary, but you've been to Japan, you've been to Mexico, you've been to Germany, you've been to the UK um, and have built your reputation, mm-hmm. right? Um, 
you know, and this is advice that even Lance Storm was giving his guys, you know, early in his school where he'd say, you know what, when he first got his work visa, you know, in the United States, it was off of a newspaper article that was touting a lot of things about him that made him unique and made it easy for the promoter to sell, you know, the, the work visa application as, as, as a talent that they couldn't get from the United States. Like he's not taking an American's job. We need him to come in and do this because these are his credentials. It's not often so, you find a serious Canadian. Yeah. And <laughs> right? Media is, is so important. Uh, and a lot of guys underrate the importance of mainstream media in right. what they do. And one of the things that you can say about the Sierra brothers, just look at how hard they hit their media, yeah. right? How many times have you seen them in the Vancouver province? How many times have you seen them on global TV with Squire Barnes, Yeah, right? Or in the Mayfill magazine or wherever, yeah. right? They are yeah. really serious about their brand mm -hmm. and their media. And mm -hmm. the industry has paid off for them as a result in Rinka no. King and then Global Force Wrestling and WWE. And it continues yeah. to. No, 100%. Those guys have worked really, really hard. I've had the privilege of uh, spending time with them and, and actually uh, got an opportunity to actually work with them at one time, uh, late 2009, 2010, just before they were kind of just on the verge of getting up to the top. So, you know, kudos to those guys. It's motivational. It, it's kind of the template, I like to call it, of, of achieving your goal. You've got to work hard regardless of what it is. I mean, every, any battle that you want to win, anything that you want good, it's never going to be easy. If it was no, easy, then, not. right, you know, so that's why I kind of look at everything that we're doing here at Tampa Chance, and, you know, we just keep trying and keep working hard, man. And, you know, it's guys like yourself, uh, the Sarah Brothers, uh, the Bollywood Boys, you know, uh, Scotty Mack, guys like that, I, I, I see them and how hard they work and not giving up on, on this dream, on this passion. So, you know, from that perspective, yeah, that's absolutely amazing. Vance, I have this one question, though, that's kind of, I don't know how to ask it without not sounding like an asshole. When you have your sections in the territories and you have the top 25 guys in the territories and the top 25 guys in, in the independents, I couldn't argue too much with the territories because a lot of the names I didn't recognize, to be honest, like the ones that stood out, the Leo Burks, the Sweet Daddy Seekies and stuff like that, I understand. How did you compile those lists? Like, what, what was the, it yourself, yeah. or was did you have a group of guys? Because I'm looking at some of the names in like BC, for example. I'm not going to say sure. anything, and I'm looking at some of like, yeah, does that guy really deserve that spot? Like, I would put <laughs> this guy above him, or I put yes. that guy above him. Like, how how did yeah. you determine that? Because I'm looking at some of the names, I'm like, that guy has more of an influence, in my opinion, in Canadian wrestling than number two does or, or what have you. But. I agree. Yeah, uh -huh. I agree. And I think, you know, there was definitely, um, you know, first of all, it was, it was very mathematical how those lists were, were established. Um, and I can tell you that, you know, when I was putting together those top 25 lists for the independents and people who know mm -hmm. me and my backstory and, and some of the feuds that I've had with people behind the scenes yeah. would know that it must have really crushed Vance Nevada to have to put that guy over. Because he hates that guy, uh, yeah. and it, and it's true. What we were specifically looking at is not it's a true. list of talent. Mm. <laughs> it, it was not a list of talent. We were making a list of the most prolific wrestlers uh, in that territory for okay. that era. Yeah. So it was based uh, specifically on hard numbers: how many matches they've wrestled, 
right. in that in that province or territory okay and how many wins they have and a lot of people will argue with me and say that wrestling stats don't matter because of the nature of wrestling as a sport and i look at it this way uh take goldberg for example goldberg yeah. was a guy that when he came on the scene everybody said like this guy's a titan uh you know and he's going on this big streak but at the end of that streak really what became of goldberg right like in his whole career now goldberg has maybe wrestled 200 matches right it's probably a fair assessment right. so while he had a big impact and made a lot of money over a period of time then you've got a guy like leo burke mm -hmm. who wrestled for 33 years right and in canada alone wrestled 3,000 matches yeah that doesn't include his work in japan or, or germany or puerto rico or in the u.s mm -hmm. overseas leo's career he wrestled more than 4,000 matches in his career mm -hmm. uh, so i look at that longevity of a wrestler and how much they contributed to wrestling mm -hmm. and so when you see a name you know i think in the alberta top 25 for the territories like a name like goldie rogers yeah or you know people be like hey goldie rogers like wasn't that guy just a jobber on tv maybe right <laughs> but you know he was there for a long long time despite no push despite yeah. you know the pay conditions of canadian wrestling versus american wrestling mm -hmm. you know these were the guys that really put in their time you know for bc Eric Froelich is often overlooked. Yeah, see, uh, I, I, I had to look him up because I didn't know who he was, to be honest. But, but, you know. but there he was. He was a mainstay, yeah. you know, yeah. on television. And he was an undercard guy. Mm -hmm. You know, I think maybe he had one tag team title reign in his, his whole career mm -hmm. uh, in, in Canada. Um, he had some success internationally as well. But, yeah. uh, you know, these were the guys that really put in the time. And so yeah. when you look at the, at the uh, you know, the independence list, yeah, you know, that's where people really start to say, hey, wait a minute, this guy got missed on the top 25. Right. You, you know, there's some tremendous, tremendous talents that, you know, Chris Jericho, prime example. Yeah. Canadian guy started his career in Canada, but his mm -hmm. career took off internationally so fast mm -hmm. that he really didn't have the body of work in Canada before mm -hmm. that happened. Mm -hmm. Right. So you'd say, well, hey, you missed Jericho. No, I didn't miss Jericho. Right we counted Jericho stuff too. Yeah. Um, you know, the guys that you see there are the guys that have put in the most time. And when we consider the wins and people would say, well, yeah, but wins don't matter. Right. Cause maybe the better wrestler actually lost. Right. 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 That's true. But it's the longevity of their career and the strength of their promotion. Now right? in Canada so, though, or is this the in Canada only? only. Okay. Yeah, so that so, makes a lot of sense. That clarifies a lot. Yeah, so broken it down by territory. Uh, so you see, like, yeah, for you know the BC for the last thirty years, these are the most prolific guys and the strongest push guys. Yeah, maybe they're pushing themselves because they were the promoter and the champion. Yeah, and that happens. Right, but right. you know that's that's how those numbers were derived. No, okay, okay, that totally makes sense. And one section I really really enjoyed was the section you did on women's wrestling. Thank you. Uh, I'm a big proponent of, of female wrestling. I've always said, even as a little kid, I thought it was too campy. Come on, let them fight. I want to see what they can do, sort of a deal. So it's yeah. really good to see them on the same level now. You know, I don't think a lot of the current generation of fans or kids really understood what these women had to go through, you know, 
Mildred Burke and all these guys. Like, it blew my mind to know that women's wrestling was banned for such a long time. 1971, they started to allow women wrestle in Ontario. Is that correct? Yeah. That's what I read in the book. So, you know, it's just... You know, and I I just thought it was really really interesting and topical because you know in the last few years as the wwe has been going to saudi arabia yeah and the naysayers have been so critical about well what are the conditions the women wrestlers have to deal with when they go there like they have to wrestle in like sweatpants and sweatshirts and they can't wear anything revealing and they have to be covered up yeah and people think like this is terrible how could we support anything like this well those were the same rules we had in Canada 40 years ago. So we're yeah. not really that much more progressive yeah. in that way. Um, and, and I think, I think it, it's, it will surprise people to learn that, that the things that were said by, you know, the organized religion and fire chiefs and police chiefs and mayors and councils and wrestling commissioners in relation to this segment of talent, it is absolutely horrifying. It is horrifying, you know, and, and to go back to Saudi Arabia, 20 years ago, these same women who would even attempt to do something like that would end up being stoned publicly, like literally, legitimately stoned. Yeah. You know, or like medieval so pro- style. progress is being made and, Absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, probably found- 50 years from now, they'll yeah. have caught up. Yeah, I know, because I, re- I remember reading as well that you were talking about, you know, uh, especially in, in provinces like British Columbia, maybe the prairies were mining and, and you know, those kind of industries were really taking hold that, you know, wrestling was really geared to a lot of those guys as a form of entertainment. You'd almost think that having the women, you know, not, not in a sexist way or anything, but I mean, at the end of the day, women sell, right? I mean, yeah, absolutely. that's just the reality. It's not to have them a part of that, you know, kind of blows my mind as well from the economic standpoint. I'm sure their numbers would have been even higher. They would have grossed even more money out of these shows if they were to have been to have female performers perform. Yeah. So it's, it's really interesting when you look at, uh, you know, look at those statistics where you look at, you know, the industries like uh, little people, right. The yeah. mighty midgets of wrestling and really how it's gone in reverse, right. Where midget wrestling was very, very big in the fifties, sixties and seventies. And then political correctness has totally killed that sector. And then on the other side, we've had this, this equality movement and 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 letting the girls go and perform and showing that they're athletes and so when you look at those stats you see you don't see too many uh, midget performers in the top 10 or top 20 from the last 20 years yeah and then inversely in the women's list the top 20 of all time there's nobody from the 80s in there it's all yeah. ladies from the past 20 years just just speaks to the volume of opportunities that now exist for women wrestlers. No, it's, it's been absolutely phenomenal to watch. You see them headline WrestleManias, uh, to headline AEW shows and things like that. To see women show color is actually awesome for me. You know, like, um, I think Britt Baker has probably done it the best. Then again, WWE probably with their no color policy, we can't really get it from them. But, you know, just, just being able to see them on that same level now is really fun. And I really enjoy it. And sometimes I'll be honest, man, I think they have better matches than some of the guys. Yeah, you know what? They're they're trying harder and it matters more. And, you know, we've definitely, you know, it's very exciting for for us to see, for example, uh, Rhea Von Slasher, yeah, yeah. who I've known almost since the beginning of her career, yeah. to watch like how she's grown as a performer, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and can adapt to pretty much anything you can throw at her. And she's just a tough chick. You know, yeah, that's I know. reality. I, I was 
privileged enough to watch her perform on the, on the two nights in Calgary there. And I actually went back to my room that night and just dug up some old things on her to see where she's come from and to what she's become now. And yeah, these girls have come so far. It's just absolutely just mind blowing. And I'm really happy for them. And, you know, I think that's just great stuff here. But where do you see wrestling now? Where do you see it going? Like, I mean, for me personally, I feel like we're starting a, a rebirth of a new golden age of wrestling. There's, there's everything for everyone. You know, it feels to me, you know, based just even on the volume of wrestling that's happening and, and the variety of opportunities that you have where it, it's a bit of a seller's market if you're a wrestler, right? You, you don't you don't have to be stuck any place where you don't feel like you're valued or contributing uh, and you can get out there and, and, and identify that, hey, you know what, for example, right now, I think there's like five promotions in Edmonton. Uh, so if, if I'm not really a fan of one brand, I just don't have to take that guy's phone call. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. I, I don't have to wrestle there because it's the only place to wrestle. Right. And, you know, in many cases in the 1990s, for, for better or worse, I mean, you can make arguments on both sides and I definitely can as well. But, you know, in the 1990s, you know, in Winnipeg, you know, you know, my pal Steve Stryker always says, you know, we were geographically castrated. Because in Vancouver, you had guys that were able to work in Portland, Oregon, and Seattle. That was about a four or five hour drive. Uh, you know, Calgary really didn't need the leg up because they had the the direct connection of the Hart family being mm -hmm. in the WWE, and then the other other influences that were post Stampede, like Benoit and Pillman, and and guys like that that were in WCW. Mm -hmm. So they already had. You know, if you came out of Calgary, you knew you had a place to go. Ontario, yeah. you were connected to New York State right. or, or Michigan. Yeah. The Maritimes, you were connected to New England. Winnipeg yeah. was connected to nowhere. Uh, <laughs> so you weren't getting those opportunities right across the border. Right. Right. Uh, you know, the Minneapolis wrestling scene at that time was very closed. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you weren't in the circle, you're not getting booked there. So you might work with a promoter who you just despise, mm -hmm. but there's no other place to work. No. Uh, well, and if you're tied to that city you know that's that's what your opportunity is yeah in in the in the winnipeg in the manitoba section of the territories i bring this up because you mentioned awa uh greg gagne is on your list uh you know the, the son of, of yeah. gagne so you you were talking as a kid growing up and whatnot obviously on here on the west coast growing up we basically got wcw but that came on at midnight, but we were predominantly a wwe stampede wrestling that's what was fed to us and we get the odd AWA show or the odd other, you know, Midwest promote, Mid-South promotion or something on a Sunday night. Um, how influential was AWA in Manitoba, though? That would have been your American promotion going up, right? And you have Greg on your list as a top 25 guy as well. So, yeah, you know what? The AWA, you know, at its height, um, you know, what was brilliant about the way that they booked back in the day. And this is how they locked up territories without really having a contract is they made agree lease agreements with the arenas to say, right. Hey, we're going to come into Winnipeg arena. Uh, you know, we're going to pay the rent. Okay. We're not asking to be exclusive. What we're asking you is don't allow anybody to promote professional wrestling here 30 days before us or 30 days after us. Oh, People are like, Oh, that's completely reasonable. And then the AWA would come every 21 days. Oh, and so as a result, they were able, be able to create their monopoly. And, you know, it was a brilliant strategy. So now you have this, you know, you think about like how strong a WWE following would be in Vancouver if that was your weekly show. Mm -hmm. 
right? And so AWA was there, you know, once a month. Yeah, uh, yeah. And 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 your TVs were all building to that feud. You were going to see at Winnipeg Arena. So, you know, it was huge. So the volume of of work that Greg Gagne and Jim Brunzel did, you know, between yeah. 1973 and, and 1986 mm-hmm. in that heyday of the AWA, right? They worked more than many homegrown independent guys, you know, during yeah. that time frame. But the AWA was also really shrewd in that, you know, when they first came, you know, it was a territorial war between the NWA because Winnipeg was an NWA town. Right. And when Vern Gagne took over and started to sort of exert his dominance, went in and there was a battle for a period of time where these guys are trying to outdo each other, kind of like Monday Night Wars, but much, much uh, less budget Mm -hmm. (laughs) and no prime time to cover it. But when they took over, uh, one of the things that they discovered early on was, hey, that local independent show that runs every Thursday night in St. Boniface, Manitoba, mm-hmm. uh, is drawing 800 people, you know, and our our initial shows as the AWA are maybe drawing 12 or 1300. Right. So it's not really that much difference. We need to find a way to kill this competition. Right. And what they did was they had Al Tomko, who was their local agent for the AWA, mm-hmm. go and buy the Madison Boxing and Wrestling Club. Okay. Uh, and initially what he said is I'm going to keep it as a training ground for guys that want to make this their, their career so they can come and they can sort of like learn the ropes at the Madison club. Mm-hmm. And then we'll, we'll graduate you to the AWA. So all the local guys were like, yeah, this is great. This is an awesome opportunity. But within what happened was the local shows at the Madison boxing and wrestling club were exempt from commission regulation because they ran a semi-pro. Mm-hmm. So they didn't have to pay for wrestler licenses. They didn't have to pay event uh, fees and things like that, or your seat tax. But as soon as uh, Al Tomko booked one of those guys on an AWA show, now they had a pro license. They couldn't work the semi-pro show anymore. Right, 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 right. And so effectively, you know, when he got Moose Murowski and Bulldog Bob Brown and the Von Steigers and, and all those headline guys working mm-hmm. undercards for AWA, even if they were in the first match and they lost in three minutes, they were now a pro. So effectively, they killed the Indies uh-huh. uh, in Winnipeg for that period of time. Well, fair enough. So here's just something I also found interesting. So like I was saying, growing up as a kid, we got predominantly WWE out here. And one of the shows I grew up on was Maple Leaf Wrestling. And I didn't realize until I read on Control Chaos that, you know, John, Frank, and Jack Tunney were behind Maple Leaf Wrestling. Like, I grew up as Jack Tunney being the president of, of the yeah. WWF at the time, not knowing that he was Frank's son. You know, not I didn't realize the history, the legacy of the Tunney family in wrestling until I was able to read this book. And that just kind of bookends so many things that I always had questions about as a kid or going into young adulthood and whatnot. That just blew my mind. So the WWE was actually working with them, running their show under their banner. That was really cool. It was the way for them to get in. You know, at the, right. at the point when uh, they had come in, um, the Tunnies had been working with the Crockets out of right. the Carolinas. And it wasn't working anymore. It, right. it was failing to draw. And so here comes Vince with this, you know, novel concept. We're going to do this thing. You can still call it Maple Leaf Wrestling. Um, it was basically a buyout of Toronto, but giving both uh, Jack and Eddie Tunney an office role yeah. where they could still sort of exercise their influence in Toronto. Right. 
that relationship later soured by the time they got to WrestleMania six. And then as a result, you know, uh, Jack Tunney was basically erased from the history books. There's very mm-hmm. little that you well, that see was, or hear about Jack Tunney as a result of that fallout. I think the last thing I saw of Jack Tunney, now that you mentioned it off the top of my head, and this is the kid of me coming out of the historian kid of me was the press conference that he did with Hulk Hogan and the ultimate warrior when they were doing title for title for WrestleMania six. That was probably the last thing he did, wasn't it? I think probably the the Tunney announcement after WrestleMania six that said, due to the potential danger to both competitors, a rematch will not be happening. Oh, okay. You know, I, I, don't re- I forgot about that. Uh, but again, reading through everything here, one thing that kind of blew my mind was I was reading the Alberta section. Um, I was kind of interested in it just because I just spent some time there and um, I've been able to work with uh, Vinny Fever, Otto Gentile a lot. And he's allowed, and I, I'll say this right off the bat, the love and the respect and and just just the open arms that I was received with, you know, to, sure. to, to come into the show, to be allowed to go backstage, to have access to the to, to the performers, to have access to you that night as well. Thank you very much. Um, it was just absolutely phenomenal. It just let me know that everything I'm working on here is going the right way so that was amazing one thing that it blew my mind was i was sitting beside steve Weil for a lot of the show not knowing his impact in the recent history of wrestling in alberta you know just little things like that like oh my god i was sitting beside him for half that show just shoot shooting the shit with him you know and it's just like wow it's just amazing man absolutely yeah absolutely but hey i tell you what where can people buy this if they haven't already bought it? Well, uh, you know, the best thing is to go to uh, the website, uncontrolledchaosbook.com. Okay. Uh, and you can get it, get it ordered directly uh, to your home. And then uh, starting this Saturday, uh, October the 1st, I'm hitting the road. So we've got already 13 dates uh, scheduled between uh, Vancouver and Regina. Well, no, actually even further because we're going to be hitting Ottawa and Oshawa, Ontario in November. Awesome. Uh, and the dates are going to keep going uh, right through to the spring. All right. So all this information can be found on the webpage, correct? Uncontrolled Chaos? Yeah. Uh, okay. You can also check out our, our Facebook page, uncontrolledchaosbook.com. And, okay. and that's probably the best place for the info and, yeah. and the latest uh, sightings of which wrestling stars and celebrities have already picked up their copy and uh and are willing to put their face to it yeah yeah 100 uh, percent. so, so we'll, we'll add week, that one of them was kevin owens yeah you see so you were at raw you were i wasn't at raw but the oh. book was there ah how, how do you get it to places without you being there well that, that's that's the one curtain i won't pull back samson all right fair uh, enough brother fair <laughs> enough no no yeah you gotta, we leverage I, all our relationships i appreciate that 100 percent, brother man um, all right, so we will put all this information in the description below uh, so the fans can find the links and get all the information that they need. Fans, I really appreciate I know you're extremely busy. You have so many things going on. So thank you for reaching out uh, to, to, to us to, to, to do this. And I really am happy for the success of the book. How is it going? How is the book being received? You know, it, it's been fantastic. Uh, you know, anytime and you probably hear this from any author you'll talk to, like when you put a book out there, it's really like you put so much of yourself into it. It's like releasing your child to the world. Yeah. Uh, and you, you just, uh, you know, hope that uh, it 
it finds acceptance and it's been fantastic the response so far uh where we're like uh now have people like waiting you know, they, they had the option to get the paperback you know live they said no no we'll wait for the hardcover because this is a book that we know we're going to be uh, paging through lots and lots so uh, yeah you know we're absolutely. already into our second second printing and, awesome uh, demand is high awesome so we know it's all over canada we know it's in the states internationally where has this book traveled to um you know it's been really encouraging you know, to see like you know in, you know especially being so based in the west right uh you know how many people in ontario and quebec are picking up the book and the maritimes uh you know down in, into the the states as, as far as florida and california mm -hmm. uh but uh we've also got books to australia germany wow. and ireland so far that's awesome. And those are just the ones that I know about. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's now it's available through Amazon and Barnes and Noble and so many retailers awesome. that uh, I, I don't know where they're going to. I just know that, that they're, they're paying for them. Awesome. So, man. Uh, so yeah, yeah no, definitely. That's fantastic. amazing. Okay. I guess the final question of the night has to be this. How many books did you sign? And at what point did you start getting sick of signing? <laughs> I don't know that I'll ever be sick of it, but it's kind of the payoff, right? Right, right, you know, right. In the way that when you're, when you're a wrestler and then you go to that merchandise stand and get a chance to interact with the fans that you've just performed before, yeah. uh, you know, it's your opportunity to show the appreciation for them. Right. Uh, so, but I do know when that first print run arrived and there was 16 boxes of books, it was, I think it was something like 600 pounds of books. Oh wow! Uh, to, to heft into the house and yeah. uh, and stack and sort and uh, well, sign your... and label and ship. The, you know, I'm now on a first name basis with the lady at the post office. Uh -huh. You know, eight thirty every morning. I'm in there with another stack of books to mail out. And, Fantastic! Uh, yeah, yeah, it was amazing. It came. It was beautiful. It arrived nicely. There was no issues whatsoever. So, uh, thank you, Canada Post, uh, yeah. <laughs> for, for for that. Uh, Vance, where can we find you next? We know you're going to be on the tour, on the road, promoting the book, but when can we find Mr. Beefy Goodness himself back in the ring? Where, where can we see you? I will be, uh, my next, my next, uh, match in the ring is going to be October 14th and 15th. I'll be in Prince George. Uh, we're doing a fundraising event there for the crisis and, and intervention center there, uh, okay. around, cool. uh, particularly around, uh, mental health and suicide oh. prevention. Awesome. That's and amazing. then I'll be back in Vancouver, uh, be in Kelowna on October 21st Yeah. Uh, at West West Coast Authentic Memorabilia, okay. October 22nd in Langley for Loft Country Wrestling. And I'll be in the ring that night. We will see you then. And then sure. uh, the return to Vancouver. I'll be in Vancouver on Sunday, October 23rd at the PE as a special guest at the Vancouver Comic Show. Fantastic, man. We hope to uh, catch up with you at those dates here in Vancouver. Uh, I'll make sure I'm there for sure. I'll be at Love Country for sure. Absolutely. Uh, support our good friend Scotty Mack there. And I'm, I'm still waiting for you guys to kind of tangle up here, man, because he keeps saying he's the, like, maybe I'm stirring the pot a little bit here now, but you're the most decorated, most decorated, most decorated wrestler, wrestler in the history in of, history of wrestling. Exactly. But my yeah. man, my man, and, and I love him to death, but he keeps saying he's the most decorated guy in the Pacific Northwest. So I think, you know, I think, Something's it seems like game, it may right? be time to to rekindle some interest in that as well. You know, some of the best matches that I had on the West Coast when I first arrived in 2003 and, and 2004 were against Scotty Mack, and we've teamed up a few times over the years. But uh, I think I think it might be 
coming up time that uh, that we see where we're both at at this well, stage in our careers. To be fair, the first time we had you on, I kind of tried to stir that pop then too. And here I am again near the end of this uh, awesome exchange trying to stir that pot one more time. So hopefully we get to see that at some point here. Uh, Vance, thank you so much, my friend. Thank you for, for all your hard work and all your contributions to the wrestling scene here in Canada and all the information that you've provided us with. Um, it's a labor of love and, and I've treated it as such in reading it and, and gaining the knowledge from it. Like there being nights reading this book for me was like being a little kid again, because we didn't have phones when we were kids, right? So my whole thing was reading a book with a flashlight or, or a comic book in my bed. That was what we did. So I was found, I, I found myself not looking at my phone at all for hours and just focused on reading. So for that, I want to say thank you, because this has allowed me to kind of rekindle that passion of reading again, something awesome. that I kind of lost along the way. Now I'm reading two books now. You know, not wrestling related, but just getting back into the art of reading. So yeah, absolutely. for that, I want to say thank you. So everybody, thank you very much. Uh, this has been an amazing opportunity to sit here with Vance Nevada. We're talking about uncontrolled chaos. Guys, look down below for all the links and we will provide them there for you guys. So you guys can get your copy. There are no excuses now. Vance, thank you very much, my friend. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Awesome, brother. Thank you very much. Hey, hey guys, welcome back. Thank you for taking the time to listen to that amazing interview that I got to do with Mr. Beefy Goodness, Vance Nevada. Uh, we were talking about uncontrolled chaos. Guys, please, after listening to that, it should motivate you to go and want to get that book. Uh, check the links below. We, we have the links to the Facebook page for uncontrolled chaos and also to the publishers and, and whatnot where you can find the book online. It's available on Amazon now. It's available wherever you want to buy your books online, I believe as well. So guys, there's no excuses. It's out there. Grab it. It's it's an amazing read. It's insightful. It's an encyclopedia. You can't go wrong. It's It's got all the information you'll ever need if you're ever looking for information straight up. All right, guys, that all being said and done. Now, a very, very special interview with the Cuban assassins that I got to do with them in Calgary a few weeks ago. Um, I tried to clean up the recording as much as I possibly could. A lot of background sound, so I hope you enjoy it. And uh, yeah, let us know in the comments below what you guys think. Here you go, Sam and the Cuban assassins, enjoy. Sam here from Tampa France, and I am sitting here with the legendary six-time, six-time Sam Team Tag Team Champions, the Cuban Assassins. How are you guys today? Oh, I'm doing fine. It's uh, super to be on with you. Um, uh, I know my partner is doing very good because he's so good-looking. Look at that. He's a beast angel. How are you, sir? I feel pretty good right now, you know, compared with my age. Age in the world that I stop you. Well, I don't want to give up yet. Fantastic. So, I guess one of the most important things is what got you guys into professional wrestling? What was it? What was it that made you want to follow this path? Well, I grew up in the Caribbean. Uh, when I was very young, I 
had the opportunity as a buddy uh, seeing some red wrestling matches and I fell in love with wrestling immediately. I was always involved in, uh, in uh, some sports of some kind. This particular venue means a lot to, to us because we had some of the uh, most hellacious matches here uh, because uh, of this great promotion uh, that used to be here. Uh, as you know, the legendary Sue Hart and his family devoted their lives to professional wrestling. And we have a, a history. We had some of the, the best matches here. So this brings back a lot of memories. How about you, Angel? Well, you know, you cannot complain too much. Because you complain, they take you down. Do you want to go up? Don't complain, you know. Get and do the best that you can. Retire millionaire. Now, how did you guys connect? How did you guys become a team? Uh, I was wrestling in the Caribbean. Uh, as you know, the legendary Don Leo Jonathan uh, was wrestling in the same part that I was in. I was wrestling with a man by the name of Edward Kiffield, Jerry Moore's brother. And uh, they both advised me to come uh, to Canada. So they said, uh, I remember uh, uh, the legendary Don Leo Jonathan said, I know personally it's going to be a good part of you. So when I came up here, I had the opportunity after wrestling in North Bay for a promoter by the name of Larry Casabosco. I was sent out to this course and I met Kishon, my partner. My first impression was, man, this guy is ugly. But then afterwards, the promoter said, you guys look like twins. So I think you guys have become partners. And that night when the team was up, we had a riot. 
from Fairport Island. And uh, from there, we made history. And you, were you, you, you have a very, very storied singles career. How was it to go into a tag team? Well, you know, it was hard because I was single, and you know, I was single. I got a big contract in Japan, I got a big contract, you know, in other places, in Germany, places like that, and in the United States too. And well, then uh, Don Leo Janetton told the promoter of a new process, he said, these two guys can be that team. And the promoter said, well, okay, let me put a bit, let me see, they agree, and they put it there, you know, to, to see what they do. Awesome. As you look back at your guys' career, what were some of the memorable matches that you guys have had uh, that stand out? Well, um, after the Giant, wrestling down with the Giant was certainly memorable. Uh, we had uh, so many good matches with so many fucking girls. Christopher, way, way back, Gino Bravo and uh, Gino Rico was the first team. They do wrestle against the Hollywood Clowns. But in this business, you have to be mean at the meters. You have to be better than the baddest, uglier than the ugliest, smarter than the smartest. And you've got to be more skilled than the most skilled person in there. So when you know this, you have to prepare yourself and you get in there to meet anybody. So everybody that you meet in there, you're going there respecting them, but with one thing in mind, you're going to demolish this person. Whatever it takes to demolish this person, that's what we're going to do. And so, I, in my opinion, every match was very memorable for me. However, uh, there were several of opponents, tactical opponents and single opponents that we wrestled at a great numerous dimension that have uh, uh, really been, that have given us a good memory. You don't become champions unless you wrestle them. You guys definitely wrestle the best. Yes, we are. How about you? Well, I. Uh, try to do the best that I can, you know. Make the most money that I can. And I say, if I, if I lose, they're going to get rid of me. And they're going to send me back to Cuba. I said, this is going to happen. This don't going to happen. I'm going to stay in the United States and Canada and around the world, but I'm going to do the best. And I did it. So speaking about around the world, how about that night in Japan where the riot broke out? Can you tell us about that night? I think so. Well, was the riot broke down, you know, there, the people is throwing everything to rose in the ring. And uh, I don't know if he stayed in the ring or because I'm busy, you know. And then when we finish and the police come and put the people out, he said, I said, what do you mean, you know, that I don't see you in the ring? He said, you, um, um, you stay there, they're going to kill you. He said, thousands of people throwing things around. Wow. But what started the riot? 
Um, I can't remember exactly what started the riot. I think, I think uh, uh, my partner, who, in my opinion, was the leader of that. Uh, the best of the best is sitting right there. And uh, uh, being the meanest of the meanest, I think he may, uh, at that particular time, have slapped uh, the other wrestler uh, uh, real hard and busted his nose and his ears. And there was blood all over the place. And I think that the people weren't very happy about that. I'll tell you how angry they were. We were in, a re in an arena where uh, the super wrestlers wrestle and most of the, the, the benches were broken down. The people ripped everything up and threw it in the ring. That's really uncommon for Japan considering um, how, how somber they are as fans and what have you. I mean watching New Japan wrestling myself, it's a very different crowd. They clap at the right moments and whatnot. They're very respectful. So you guys must have done a number on them that night. When when I was in the ring, uh, I remember my partner Asia telling me, these people are crazy. They don't do nothing. They just sit there and, and, and they put their hands over their face. These people are crazy people. They have no emotion. What what are we going to do to, 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 to get these people worked up? Because they're very passive people. They're very quiet people. You know, you punch the guy in the head, you kick him in the stomach, they just, they just go like this. And my partner decided, yeah, he was not going to take that. He slapped that that wrestler so hard, blood was coming out from his ears. He felt his knees, and then, and then I booted him in the face, and, and there was blood all over the place. And I think that I've never seen anybody that mean in the ring of anybody else. And that they got very worked up about that, very angry about that. Awesome. And I also understand that, remember, there was a ride in the United States as well. What can you share, share about that? Oh my goodness, there's so many riots in the We were down in the in, in, uh, city after, in, uh, in Prince Edward Island. The first match we had in Prince Edward Island. And uh, a riot took place. Uh, we were doing a, a crisscross. And uh, uh, my manager, that uh, the opponent's feet, I bought the jump, one, two, three, and, and pinned right away. And they got so angry about that, a riot took place. That night, the referee lost his car. That's how angry the people were. Wow. How about you? Any famous US riots that stand up for you? Well, you know, yeah, you like, I wrestled all over, all over the United States. And uh, the people in the United States, the fans are different than the Canadian one. The Canadian one may be the more quirky, you know. The United States, they want to go and ask you. Awesome, awesome. So as you guys sit here tonight and kind of watch the new generation emerge, what, what stands out about the product today to you guys? Well, uh, today, the sport has advanced quite a lot uh, because of the big promotion like Vince uh, McMahon's promotion. And uh, we have superstars of a different caliber today. The guys are much bigger, they work harder. Um, my partner and I were responsible for all of this acrobat flying stuff. Uh, we would give birth to that. And now today has become uh, a standard in wrestling. Uh, the uh, young wrestlers that are coming up are some of the superstars 
that uh, have just gone by and uh, still exist, they are a different caliber, different, uh, 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 not just caliber, but different athletic positions. They work on harder. So it's a different caliber of wrestling, but not as mean as when we were wrestling. How about you, Angel? What do you think of today's product and the generation now? Well, you know, I give a great, you know, it's a lot of, lot of good talent there. And they get strong. I watch the wrestling, you know, for the United States, and I look at them. This kid is a strong. He knows how to make the move perfect. He's going to be a superstar. So the Cuban assassins in their prime, if they were here today, how would they handle these uh, kids? Well, we give, like I said, we we give birth to what you see happening in the ring today. So I think that we'll put up a, a very, very, very good fight because we know this thing. We give birth to it. We know it. They have to learn. Absolutely. How about you? Do you think you can take this new generation? Yeah, you know, they're going to change, you know. You see that they, uh, they want to win the end great, that's it. But they don't know how to do it. But they have to learn how to do it and do it quick. Fantastic, fantastic. I want to say something. My partner that's very true. So as you guys, do you feel all that you can do here tonight? You show these young bucks in bigger too? Absolutely. Absolutely. But we want to give credit to these guys. They work hard. And I'm sure that they will move up a good time. Awesome. How about you? Do you think you can get in there tonight if you had to? No. No. I'm pretty impressed with you know about Twenty years ago, and I don't hesitate like that. You have no way to take it back in the ring at all. No, no, no. How about you? Any itches? How about you? Sorry, do you have any itch to ever get back in there? Like, have you seen your look at it all? Of course, when you sit here and you see uh, something happening in the ring, and you think, okay, I could do that better, or you should have done that, you always have to decide. You never lose. You decide to get back in there. Guys, I'm around to say thank you so much for giving me this privilege time of yours to talk to you about your story career and so much more. I'm Bobby Thompson. I'm here with the Cuban Assassins. Zap out. There you have it, guys, the Cuban Assassins. What an amazing interview that was. What an amazing experience that was for me. Um, very humbling. Uh, the Cuban Assassins, two guys that I basically grew up watching as a child. And uh, to have the opportunity to kind of be with them, to actually meet them and, and to kind of pick their brains was an honor and a privilege, to say the least. Uh, big shout out to Otto Gentile, uh, Mr. Mr. Canam himself, man, thank you so much for the for 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 the for the opportunity to reach out to them and to actually have the opportunity to sit down with them. So a big shout out goes to him for sure, absolutely, for making that possible for us here at Tampa Chance.
Uh, big shout out to the Cuban assassins, Angel and Frank, for, for the opportunity, not once, but twice, uh, to sit down with them and to talk to them. So again, thank you guys all for taking the time out to listen to these two interviews. I hope you guys enjoyed them as much as I enjoyed doing them. Uh, that being said, that's it for this episode of Samp and Chance, a very special episode of Samp and Chance. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. Please like and subscribe. Join us on this journey. Things are only going to get better and better as we go from here. Uh, we'll be back Tuesday with a new episode of Samp and Chance Wrestling Edition. Uh, I think we're going to be having a preview of Extreme Rules, which will be happening next week. So we'll we'll look into that. We'll dive into that. We'll also be diving into all the top stories of the week that are happening at the time. And yeah, so that being said and done, I am Bobby Sampson, and you're listening to Samp and Chance. And in the words of Ed Whalen, in the meantime and in between time, that's it for Samp and Chance. We will be back soon. Have a great weekend, everyone. Enjoy and be safe. Samp out.